Peace Worship Team. Thank you guys so much. We bless you. It's always wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord worshiping together. Well, welcome back, King of Kings family, all the members. We welcome you uh, back home today. Welcome everybody watching online today as well. Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms. We welcome you from all over the world. Welcome to Jerusalem. We're glad you're here today. And a special thank you to a wonderful reading from Paul for the parasha and to everybody who helped us last week with the boxes packing. Uh, several hundred of those boxes have now been given out. We couldn't do that without your help, and you're helping in tremendous ways. I remember just earlier today, I was helping one of our, one of our folks that was, uh, they were serving us by delivering goods to other people, and they were saying, uh, you know, Pastor Chad, how much have we done so far, just if we had to summarize something? And the numbers that, were, uh, that we were putting out were, were pretty amazing about what you've been able to do what we've been able to do together, not only at this location in this campus, but all of the King of Kings locations uh, around the country, whether it be you know, 10,000 boxes given out or whether it be 12,000 articles of clothing or 7,000 hot meals we've done or the, the bomb shelters we've been able to repair together, the families we got out of harm's way and we helped get into the hotels, the children's programs we've run and all of the, the thousands and thousands of ways we've helped soldiers with coats and, and uh, helmets and bulletproof vests and boots and sleeping bags and food backpacks and things like that. King of Kings, you did that. So we certainly say thank you. And I know that all of those receiving those goods, whether they be families, displaced, whether they be the, the spouses left behind while the soldiers are out at war or the soldiers themselves, every one of them say thank you for what you've done. So we, we appreciate you. and We want you to stay engaged to all of those things. I want to take a, a moment as a family to just update you on a few things so you know uh, what's been happening. Um, this past week, some of you might remember our dear friend, Carol Reese Brown. And Carol was here at King of Kings with us for a number of years in Jerusalem, serving as a deaconess with her husband. And uh, then when they moved back to America some years ago, she helped serve as our, our financial person on the ground for our US office for King of Kings USA. And sadly, this past week, Carol has passed away. Uh, we're grateful that Pastor Wayne uh, was able to go out and be there in California to uh, give our condolences as a whole spiritual family. So he's representing us. Thank you, Pastor Wayne, for doing that today. Um, we also want to update you that one of our own uh, locations, King of Kings Community in Los Angeles, with Pastor Brian and Jenny Stavali, Jenny's mom passed away just two days ago as well, also in California, and Pastor Wayne is representing us there as well. So again, thank you, Pastor Wayne, for that. And then I did want to take a moment to say thank you to Renata. Renata couldn't be here with us tonight, I understand, but this was supposed to be her last uh, weekend with us before she moves to Haifa. So those of you that have known Renata over the many years that she's been a member at King of Kings, um, you might know her from helping in the children's program, or you might know her as a First Encounters team member and a greeter. You might know her from helping with lyrics many years ago, or even helping in the administration part. She's been on our prayer team. She's been part of Deeper Connections. She's been in the prayer tower. Renata has helped with so many things. I'm sure you've run across her. I know I was, my earliest memory of Renata is in one of our discipleship classes. 
when I was teaching, was the very first class I ever taught here when we moved to Israel. And Renata, there she was in the back, and she was knitting. Is that, did I say it right, knitting? And I always want to make sure I say that right, because you know there's a difference between sewing and knitting and crocheting. And I was told to make sure I got that right, so she was knitting. So bless you, Renata. We bless you on your move to Haifa. We are sad as family that you have to move away, but we are certainly grateful for all you've done for us. Hallelujah. Let's dive into the word of God tonight, guys. We want to continue to pray over all of our soldiers fighting from King of Kings and their families that are left behind, the moms and the kids, the reservists that were brought up. We're going to continue to pray over our hostages as well, that God would do a miracle and bring them home and pray for anyone who is trying to escape evil right now, that they would have a way to escape evil uh, and be courageous and to not give up. Hallelujah. You know, in the kingdom of God, one of the things I love to do is I love to find patterns. It's, it's fun for me to talk about the patterns we find in scripture because patterns for me give me great confidence in what's coming. Right? I know what was, and I know the pattern behind it, so I know what's coming ahead as well. And sometimes these patterns help us to navigate, having been uh, made aware of different road markers along the way. They, they let us know what to expect. And some of these patterns that I was recognizing, I, I, I've been kind of updating you through the process of, uh, I was writing a booklet, and, and by God's grace, the booklet is in its final draft now. I am very tired of working on it. I, I'm not a huge reader. I know, cover, cover the ears of the children. I'm not a big reader. And, and I know that sounds funny. Now, that doesn't mean I don't read a, a lot. I do read a lot. I just don't like it. There's a difference between reading a lot because you know you should and because you want the information and because you, you, you know it's good for you. That's me. That's where I'm at. And then there's the people who just like to read. Bless God that my wife loves to read and she rubbed off on our children who love to read. I did not rub off on them in that way, praise God. But it was ironic that I don't love the activity of reading. I don't like sitting still for more than five seconds. That's why I don't like reading. Reading makes me be still, and I don't love that feeling. You have to I love learning. I love learning, but I'm a visual learner. I don't learn through words. I learn through seeing it and touching it and doing it. That's kind of a different style of learning. So it was very ironic that, that God had asked me to write this booklet that somebody had to sit down and read. And I was like, that's very hypocritical, God. It sounds hypocritical that I would write something when I don't even love to read myself. And then I found the way out of it that it's not a book. That's why I call it a booklet. You're always gonna hear me refer to it as a booklet so I can get out of the hypocrisy. It's a booklet. And I'm almost done. I finished the last draft. But this booklet called The Upside Down Kingdom is all about patterns in the Bible and how the kingdom of God is most often upside down from what you're being taught in the world. And we're actually gonna use the booklet in the spring semester coming up for our discipleship class. So a lot of us are gonna to get to interact on this booklet together. But again, it's part of the pattern. But there are other patterns in the Bible that I wanna talk about tonight. And one of them is this, that we know that Yeshua is the creator of all things. We sang about it, we read about it, we do the blessings over it, he's the creator of all things. Nothing was made without him. 
right? And at the same time, Lucifer, Satan, our enemy, doesn't have the power to create anything. He wants to convince you he has the power, but he doesn't have the power to create anything. So therefore, you have a creator which creates all things good, and you have a deceiver who doesn't create anything. So how does he get his, his ideology infused into the world if he can't create anything? He does it through the perversion of everything that God created, right? So tonight, the, the title of the sermon, if you want to go back or you want to share it, it's called The Creator Versus the Perverter. And when I say the word perversion here, I don't, I'm not referring to sexual perversions primarily. I'm, I'm referring to corruption. He takes, Lucifer takes one of God's good creations and he, and he wants to corrupt it and pervert it into something that he can use for his lies. And this is going to be a huge pattern in the Bible. Let me just start from the beginning and I'm going to give you a little bit of a kind of an elementary base and then we're going to get a little bit more advanced as we go along. Everything that God is involved in, it grows, prospers, expands, and replicates and multiplies. Everything God touches does one of those things. Why? Well, because God can't help but bring life to things. It grows if he's involved in it. Right? It grows if he's involved in it. And that's why we believe here at King of Kings in this little idea we called kingdom expansion mentality. We believe that it should always be growing. Families should be growing. Our friendships should be growing. Communities should be growing. We should be planting new congregations, feeding more people, helping more people, growing in love, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. All of that should be growing in our life. We're not into the, hey, you've arrived mentality. Always kingdom expansion. And really this comes from early in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, because we understand that everything God touches, it grows, but everything that Satan is involved in, it dies and it decays. It's the opposite pattern. Genesis chapter 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that is, has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food, and it was so. So very early on, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we see a pattern developing. We need to look at what was happening with Adam and Eve to give us a pattern for the future. What is it that Adam and Eve were commanded to do? Well, first of all, they were commanded to be made in the image of God. You say, well, they weren't alive yet. Yeah, but that was still a command. You get that? That's still a command. It comes up many times in the Bible with patterns. Be conformed to the image of God. You were made in the image of your father. Become more like him. That commandment started even before they were born, but it still was a commandment, and it propelled them to understand what to do and what to become, to become in the image of their father. Now, 
One of the very first perversions that Satan ever did was because he could not create humanity, so he sought to pervert uh, humanity, right? They were supposed to be made in God's image, but this is what happens when the enemy gets involved. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent that we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the very first perversion that I could find in the Bible where Satan is trying to, at least in terms of dealing with humanity, obviously there was already perversions of truth back when he was dealing with the angelic hosts earlier in our history, before humanity was on the earth. But in terms of our humanity, this is the first perversion, trying to get humans to think, don't become in the image of your father, become at the equal level of your father. That was a a perversion. It was like taking the truth and then twisting it. And that's what Lucifer through the serpent tried to get Adam and Eve to do. And you might say, well, why would Satan want to do that? Why would Satan want to make the creation believe that it was equal to God? Well, friends, I've taught you this before, that this has been Satan's goal from the very beginning for himself. And it's confirmed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He, being Satan, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's what he wants. And so he tried to project what he wants on Adam and Eve. I want this. I want to be equal to God. So you, you need to want to be equal to God. And they were saying, no, no, we're, we're not supposed to be equal to God. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of God. He's our father. We're supposed to look like him to some degree. And Satan said, no, no, no. He's tricked you. He lied to you about that. You can be equal with him if you just eat from that tree. And you see what he did. He took a creative element of being in the image of our father and he perverted it. He corrupted it to try to make them want to become equal to God. And so the pattern began. The very next part of Genesis chapter one says, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, I've always taught us that we were created to rule and reign with the Messiah. This is no different. Right at the beginning, when Adam and Eve are given their first instructions, it's be fruitful and multiply, that's kingdom expansion mentality, be made into the image of your father, that's we make mankind in our image, and then it is to rule over. So there's a commandment there, there's a destiny for us as humanity that we're called to rule and reign with the Messiah over God's creation. We've talked about that many times before. This is a statement of oversight. It's a statement of leadership, taking care of something, being good stewards of something, helping something or someone else make progress and achieve their God-created destiny. It is not a statement of domination or an iron-fisted dictatorship. When God said to Adam and Eve, 
You, you need to rule over my creation. He wasn't telling them to be dictators, to be tyrant leaders, or to be, be dominating leadership figures. He wasn't telling them to do that because that would violate the free will that God gave man. So that cannot be what the instruction was for. And yet the instruction was to rule and reign over God's creation. So how do we know that God gave a good instruction of rulership and Satan tried to pervert rulership into domination and dictatorship? It certainly doesn't match to what Yeshua showed us. You might say, well, Pastor Chad, how did you come up with that definition of godly leadership to rule and reign, to serve, to bring someone to their God-created destiny? How did you come up with that notion? Well, it's right there in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which, we, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So if you take the commandment of rulership, and then you add to that Yeshua's example of rulership, then you get someone who loves people more than himself. He prefers them more than himself. He looks out for their interests more than his interests. He's willing to leave paradise to come down and serve. And that becomes the example of what God intended for us when we were called to be rulers and reigners with him over his creation. But what did Satan do? He took the creative notion of rulership and he corrupted it into the perversion of domination, tyranny, dictatorship, right? Put people under your thumb, make them slaves, force them to do what you want them to do for your own selfish interests. And you can see the pattern of creation versus perversion continue. There is a godly rulership that, that we are supposed to be learning about right now. Don't, don't, I don't want you to only receive the perverted version of rulership because it's so pervasive in our life that no one wants to submit to anyone. No one wants true leaders. No one wants to be on a team. I might not get what I want if I have to submit to someone else because we've bought into the perversion part of what Satan did to the idea of rulership. But if you buy into Yeshua's version of rulership and you realize that people love you more than they love themselves and they serve you more than they serve themselves and they're more interested in your progress and your success than they are in their own progress and their own success, then you would love leadership. You gotta make sure you receive rightly from the creator. Don't receive from the perverter of these principles. In the area of being a good ruler, how do we do that? Well, we become like Yeshua. We become the biggest servants possible. Look at these two verses, one from Mark and one from Matthew. Mark 9:35. Sitting down, Yeshua called the 12 and said, "Anyone who wants to be first 
must be the very last and the servant of all. Matthew 18, 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua is defining what rulership should look like, what leadership should look like right here in the scriptures. And don't only buy in. Don't receive the lies that the enemy tries to put forward. Now, we're going to continue a little bit faster now, a little bit uh, of a higher advanced level. I gave you some elementary stuff to chew on. But when we think of ruling and leading, we must also pursue the proper understanding of justice. Justice is an important part of leadership. You can't just let people get hurt. You have to step in and and produce justice that stops them from being hurt and, and makes restitution for the people that were hurt or the people that were stolen from. Justice is an important part of leadership. And of course, God shows us this wonderful example. God promotes justice on a corporate level, including having judges in the Bible, kings, witnesses inside of the courts. He says you must present evidence and facts. You must allow the accused person to speak. There has to be the back and forth of presentation so that true justice can be performed. And that's in a corporate dynamic, of course. We covered that last week. If you're not familiar with that term, go back in the archive to last week's corporate justice. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 16, 19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and it subverts the cause of the righteous. God pursues true justice by getting all of the facts on the table and making sure that the person that has been wronged, that it has been corrected. But Satan's perversion of justice is a pursuit of selfish gain to take bribes and to take personal revenge. Again, go back last week. We talked about personal revenge versus corporate justice last week. Personal revenge. This is what Satan would put forward. This is how he would pervert this wonderful creation called justice from God's perspective, but he would pervert it. And he would say, no, take, take justice into your own hands. Take personal revenge. This selfish perspective shows us that even today, as we see an emerging trend among cultural influencers, you say, what are you talking about? Well, I said what God promotes is getting all of the facts. Not today. That's not what happens today, is it? That hospital got bombed. Well, write a story about it. Put it on every news source. Oh, you know what? Actually, we were wrong. It didn't get bombed. Too late. Did we wait for justice? Did we wait for facts? Did we wait for truth? No. Why? Because Satan's demonic forces are behind the perversions of selfish gain. Put it out there. Don't wait for truth. Don't wait for facts. Don't have true justice. Take personal revenge. And it's all over our society right now. If you're accused of something today, this is a very hard time to live if you get accused of something serious. 
I've walked through a handful of scenarios where there are leaders, prominent leaders around the world who have been accused of something. But does anyone wait for the evidence and the witnesses and the judges to finish all of the judgment and to give a final ruling before they write the story and make the movie? No. Because it's not as fun at the end of a trial when the judge stands up and say, well, there was really nothing to this trial. It's wrong. They're innocent. Oh, that's not a very good movie. No one's going to watch that. But it's the accusation we love. It's the accusation that Satan loves. That's why he is called the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't care about the end result. He only cares about the accusation. And that's a big problem in our culture today. Watch out for it. Stay away from it. You hear something about a friend, you say, no, I don't receive that. Not until there's more facts and I get a chance to talk to them. I do not receive that about that person. This is what binds the body of Messiah together different than the friction in the world. Let me give you another Another scenario that our, our culture is very much struggling with, and I'm just trying to bring this home to make it applicable to us, this concept of equality versus equity, it just is, it's so corrupted right now. The concept that everyone should have everything the same is not from God. It's not. God said, I will give to whom I will give to. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. I will bless who I want to bless. I will call one and a little bit differently than I will call the next. God doesn't believe in equity the same way that this perverted culture is trying to produce equity. That's a perversion of what God created, which was called equality. There's a difference. Equity means everybody has the same thing. Equality is that everyone has the same opportunity. That's different. Equality is that Messiah died for everyone so that everyone can make their own decision to follow him or not. That's equality. And in that equality, there's no difference between Jew, Gentile, male, female, Greek, free, slave. There's no difference because it's equality from a biblical perspective. Everyone had the same opportunity. But equity means nobody should go to heaven and nobody should go to hell because those are not equal. That's satanic. But it's everywhere in the media right now. Oh, equity, 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 equity. It's a perversion of God's creative ability of that equal opportunity to come to him. It's twisted, it's corrupt. This concept will go a little bit further and it's, it starts to lead us into areas called the majority versus the minority, okay? Listen for a second on this. I'm not talking about an ethnic group, by the way. When I say minority, that's not what I mean. I'm meaning a consensus of the majority versus a consensus of the minority. And right now, we are so bent on making sure that the minority has freedoms that we ignore the majority. Now, should we take care of the poor? Yes. Should we take care of those that have been mistreated? Absolutely. The Bible calls that justice. But we don't 
make the majority suffer so that the minority can feel better about themselves. That, my friends, is a perversion of justice. But it comes under the banner. It's tricky because it sounds good at the beginning. You got to be careful. It sounds pretty good at the beginning. Like, but these are the, these are the, the ones that are kind of marginalized. They're like on the outside, but shouldn't we help them? Yes, we should, but help them in ways that are actually helpful. Tell them about the love of God. Help them with their pain. Be good friends to them and serve them above yourself. But don't join into the perversion by calling lies the truth. That, that doesn't help the minority, by the way. When you call a lie a truth, that doesn't help the minority. It continues to hurt the minority. And this, this perversion of these, these terms and these ideas and these ideologies, they're very kind of interwoven into our culture right now. And I'm trying to awaken you, King of Kings, put a spotlight on it and say, no, 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 that doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches. That must be Satan perverting that. God favors diplomacy, relationships, and reasoning together. When there's a conflict, listen to this, Isaiah 1:18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. God says, come to me. We can talk about it. Come on, let's reason. Let's figure this out. I'm patient with you until you understand something. But Satan, however, doesn't like reasoning together. Satan does not like diplomacy. Satan does not like democracy, by the way. Because democracy demands sitting down with your brother and talking through on an issue. Satan doesn't like that. What does Satan like in his perversion? He promotes violence, terrorism, and domination over your enemies. Right? Look at the difference of the New, the New Testament what does it say? Love your neighbor and love your enemies. Look at the Quran. What does it say? Love your enemies or murder anyone who doesn't believe like you. You see, that doesn't sound like, come, let's reason together. Let's sit down and figure this out. Let's talk it through. I'll give you a chance to convince me. I'll have a chance to convince you. Let's bring the facts to the table. Let's dialogue. That's new covenantal. But Satan's perversion is you believe like me or you're dead. Oh, that's Lucifer. You got to pull it apart. You got to see what it's actually trying to do. Matthew chapter 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And you say, well, Pastor Chad, why are you underscoring that verse? You've said it two or three times now. But did you hear the phrase that you may be children of your father in heaven? Don't forget the very first commandment. Be made in the image of your father. If you want to be in the image of your father, love your enemies. That's how you, one of the ways that you're in the image of your father. That's why I was connecting those two points for you. Loving your enemies is one of the signs of being made more into the image of the Messiah. Just like loving one another as brothers and sisters in the Messiah lets the outside world know that we belong to him. We know that's in the scriptures. Book of John. 
Let's continue. God is someone who likes to make covenant with us, an everlasting promise that endures. What does it say in Deuteronomy 7, 9? Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is a covenant maker, covenant keeper. He loves to make promises because he loves to keep promises. You think Satan does that? Or does Satan, in the form of the angel of light deceiver, his native tongue is a lie, he will tell you something's true, he will make you a promise, and of course, he will never fulfill that promise. Because he's a perverter. He's a corrupter. That's in his nature. And when we talk about covenant, it's hard to talk about covenant without mentioning marriage for a moment. That marriage, and this is our key phrase of the night, Marriage is a creation of God. It shows us the highest form of serving one another, helping someone else pursue their God-created destiny, and to love someone despite all of their faults. Doesn't that sound like God? I want you to reach your destiny. My life is going to be to serve you so that you can reach your God-intended destiny. Boy, if we could have marriages like that, we'd be doing just fine. And we look at all of these comparisons. The sanctity of marriage from God's point of view, the great creation of marriage versus the perversion of divorce. You see God versus Satan. What about things like monotheism versus polytheism? The created order versus satanic perversion. Monogamy versus polygamy. You know, what's interesting, I was thinking about this idea of marriage and the tefillin came to mind. Has anybody ever seen tefillin? Tefillin is the phylacteries. They're the prayer boxes. They're, if you've never seen them, they're very beautiful. This is my set. And from time to time, I, I lay tefillin when I pray out of the sedur. And you might say, Pastor Chad, I'm getting weird religious vibes right now. You know, it's just, it's, it's a little too religious for me. Well, let me just read you from the Bible for a second so you can relax. Deuteronomy chapter six. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. So we're okay with the heart part and we're okay with the children part. Talk about them when you sit at home. We're good with that. Let's talk about it at home. When you walk along the road, yep, I can embrace that along the road. When you lie down, sure, at night when I lay down, I embrace that. And when you get up in the morning, yep, I love that too. I talk about the Lord in the morning. And then tie them as a symbol upon your hand and bind them on your foreheads. Well, I was really good until you said that part. Why? It's in the same verse. That's all this is. Now, some of you might say, well, I think that was just supposed to be symbolic, like, I don't think you're actually supposed to do it. Well, maybe you're not actually supposed to talk to your children about the Lord either. It's all in the same sentence. So pick one. Pick which side you want to be on. Anyway, my point is this. When it comes to marriage, I thought about this. And you say, why did you think about that? Well, I was thinking about this verse about binding it, tying it to yourself. So you, you, you're not trying to get away from it. You're trying to get closer to it. That's what I think about the word of God when I see the, the tefillin, I'm trying to get closer. I said to a pastor last week, he, he was talking about just the Messianic Jewish movement and he was talking, uh, he was giving me some verses and I said, pastor, it sounds like you're trying to get out of scripture. Like 
Get it away from me. I said, at King of Kings, we're trying to get into it. We're trying to do everything possible to get closer to it. If there's a thing we can connect with, let's connect with it. Let's not try to run away from it. And I was thinking about the marriage because in the ceremony, when you put this on, by the way, the, the, the tefillin, if you've never seen it, the, uh, one, one of the straps goes on your head and yeah, it looks funny and you have a little box and it's really weird looking. I gotta be honest with you, it's really weird. And the other one goes on your arm and you wrap it all the way around your arm and the box just kind of sits on your arm. And what's inside is the scriptures, by the way. Literally inside the box are scriptures. And then at the end, you have this little strap left over. And the little strap you wrap around your finger as a wedding band to the Lord and you say a blessing that says, I betroth myself to you, God. Oh, sounds a little better now, doesn't it? Well, I, I knew the religious part. I didn't know that good part. No, that's, that's what you do with the tefillin. You wrap it and you marry yourself to God. And you say, okay, your word is bound to me and I am bound to you. You're the covenant maker. I want to be a covenant keeper just like you, God. And you might say, that is, that's tremendous. But how did Satan pervert that? Listen to this, Revelation chapter 14. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, they too will drink from the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out in full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. Do you understand what I'm doing? I'm showing you a pattern in the Bible that the creator creates something good and Satan tries to pervert it every time. Here we have a little, uh, just a small little image of loving God and loving his word and Satan takes that little image and he makes it into the mark of the beast. Get the mark on your forehead. That's where that should be. Get it on your hand. That's where the tefillin is. Do you understand? And he's taking everything that God does and he perverts it. Worship team, you can come. So let me just run you down a few comparisons as we close. God loves definitions. Satan loves blurred boundaries. You understand? God said to the ocean, you can come this far and then no more. Definition. He put a beach. Satan doesn't want any definitions. Anything can be anything. Anyone can be anyone at any time because he's a perverter of God's beautiful creation. God made them male and female was in the first verse we made today. But Satan is looking more at fluidity and sexual perversions. That's what he would push as the corruption. God would look at purity, sexual purity before marriage. This is what God would want. Sexual purity before marriage. Satan would push promiscuity, right? Sexual activity outside of marriage and before marriage. God would look at a celebration of life that every child is, is like a quiver, and, and a quiver full of arrows. And Satan would be trying to kill every baby possible. Can you see it in our society? It's everywhere. It's in everything you read, watch, comment on, like, thumbs up, thumbs down. It's everywhere where you have to sift through the creator versus the perverter. And we need to start seeing patterns, friends. 
to survey the landscape. Watch what is being pushed on you through media, through universities, and through our culture. Identify where these things are opposite from God's instructions and his beautiful, good creation. Identify what is upside down in this world. Identify what is Satan is trying to pervert so that you cannot get the blessing of God you were created to get. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for consistency, that your word is so consistent. Your character is so consistent. We can sink our anchors into you. You're the anchor of our soul. Holy Spirit, would you help illuminate for us areas in our life that are compromised? Areas that we have bought into the blurred lines or the bad definitions or the lies of the evil one, where we've let the world influence us opposite of the creator. Maybe we've been told that God is hiding something from us and we've believed it. Maybe we've been told that you can't be the sucker in the situation. You can't let people take advantage of you. And yet there's a blessing sometimes when you serve the other person more than yourself. Maybe we've bought into quick, selfish revenge and false justice in the media instead of taking our time to learn the facts, to get all of the evidence, and to present the case. All of these things that Satan has corrupted, Lord, we see in our world. What we're asking you today is show us where the poison is, that we can get it out of our life, that we can recognize it right away when we see it, that we can call it out. Just like Yeshua was able to call out Satan's perversions in the 40 days in the wilderness and his temptation. Satan tried to tell Yeshua that he was in charge of everything and Yeshua corrected him. Satan tried to tell Yeshua how the angels worked and Yeshua corrected him. Satan tried to tell Yeshua how it should work and it came to food and fasting and Yeshua corrected him. He didn't fight Satan inside the perversion, he corrected him back to the creative order. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, empower us to do this today. As we grow more into your image, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen. Let's stand and worship.